Okay, if you would, open your Bibles to James chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to be looking at James 4, 8 through James 5, 6 today. Um, I want to thank uh, both Yancey a couple weeks ago for preaching, just brought it. I, again, just both of these messages I encourage you guys to listen to if you haven't had a chance to listen to them. I think they're both significant. Todd preached last week and did a great job, really put, it was kind of a part two in, in a way to what Yancey had brought the week before, lots of stories and everything, making it very practical. So, uh, Father, we just ask today that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, shape us and change us. And Lord, more than anything, God, I ask that we would have a greater revelation of how you've, you've just self-revealed yourself in Jesus Christ, how you've made yourself known to us, even as we read these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. Verse 8. I'll just start with verse 7, just the beginning of the... Going through puberty. Uh, uh, That was awkward. Uh, Made even worse by me talking about it. I could have just gone on and... Here we go. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will do this or that, uh, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. I'm going to come back to that last verse there, which is... Not a good translation in the New International Version that I'm reading from. Okay, so, uh, well, it's kind of heavy passage, isn't it? A little bit, yeah? So the the deal here, and let me just say, I'm really going to be looking, focusing on verses 11 through, uh, 411 through uh, 56. And even that beginning piece, you know, where he's saying, uh, where he's saying, you know, Come near to God, sinners, purify your hearts, double-minded, grieve, mourn, and well. All that sounds really heavy, but the context of that is submitting ourselves to the Lord. 
And if we are unwilling to submit to the Lord, that is the word for us. If we're saying no with a stiff neck to God and bowing up, there's, there's nothing left to be said but to say, get ready for hard times, they're coming. Because you can't draw close to God when you're living a prideful, self-indulgent, self-focused, me at the center of my universe kind of life. And so that's why that, that language is so strong there. Now, the last couple of weeks, you know, we talked about, Yancey talked about the tongue and being ultimately being powerful people. That's a great word. <clears throat> and what he meant by that wasn't, that power, wasn't powerful in the sense of, of the flesh and just dominating people with physical force or something like that, but it's being whole, being, uh, finding our identity and our life in God, so much so that we're free to let other people do what they want to do and not have to try to control them or manipulate them. Todd gave us more on that same flow about submitting and being humble uh, that in a way that keeps God at the center. And you know, even today, we're going to get there again. It's kind of the same message. And even though we do these messages over several weeks, it's one flow. It's one. That's why we keep emphasizing Jesus through this thing from the beginning to the end. And uh, I called it opportunities. <clears throat> called it opportunities along the way. I'm going to set this here, Jonathan, I'll be careful, wherever Jonathan's at. Uh, I called it uh, opportunities along the way, and I mainly called it opportunities along the way because I didn't want to call it challenges. There's just something in me, I have a positive bent. Anybody that knows me knows, knows that. Um, it's also a weakness. It causes me to miss negative things that I should be seeing sometimes. Anybody relate to that? I don't know why I said that. Uh, but it's, it's one of the passages in Scripture, of which you could really pick anyone, but it's one of these places where if we miss, if we get our eyes off of Jesus and start looking at just the do's and the don'ts here, this is part of why Martin Luther called this a right straw-y epistle. Straw-y, straw-y like made of straw. He didn't like this one. It didn't support a lot of his other theology that was so uh, dominated by Romans and justification by faith. But if you take your eyes off of Jesus in this passage, then what happens is you'll end up with a seesaw kind of perspective about morality, where God's on the other side, and we're just kind of trying to find a balancing place with God. Is this working here? And so I do some stuff, and then I, I blow it some, and then God kind of does his part over there and balances me out with a little bit with grace. You ever, anybody ever feel that way? And it's, it's a disaster. It's a disaster to try to live in seesaw, you know, doing seesaw thing with God. Jesus Christ has done it all. And it's, it really is the only way to live. God does some, I do some, that's not going to work. It's a, it's a disaster. And so the key is to see that there is one person who can live the Christian life and his name is? Jesus. That's right. Only one can do this thing. Only one can live this life. So the main thing I'm saying today is this. We live the Christian life by continually trusting in Jesus through the challenging situations of life. And that's what we're looking at here. You've got relational things. You've got the future. You've got money. All of these are big topics, right, in our lives. Very practical. Very practical ways that kill our peace all the time. And I, I do mean all the time. And so if I'm going to live with trust in Jesus, it means I have to get, 
I have to realize that there's this truth that Paul keeps preaching about, that Jesus himself preaches about, and it's called union with Christ. It's being one with Christ. It's what Christ came to do was to make us one in his family, to adopt us. This was his plan before the beginning of time. We were predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. That's what his whole deal was, to be united with him. And so when we're united with him, then the, the way we walk this out is to say, Lord, I can't do this, but live your life through me. To trust in him, to live, live your life through me. And more and more, our walking experience as Christians is to see the life of Jesus manifested in what we do and say and think and the way we give and the way we spend our time and our money and all those kinds of things. I can't make Jesus big enough here today. And I'm going to point you to Jesus. I'm starting here because it's where the light is. I'd rather start in the light than, and we'll figure this other stuff out. But Jesus is the key that this whole thing's about. Nobody's going to get to Jesus one day, face to face with Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, I think I made too much of you while I was alive on earth. Nobody's ever going to do that. None of us. So that's why we study Scripture like this. Because this Scripture points us to the one who is the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word of God that the Scriptures point to. Do, do you, and this is important because in our culture, especially in the Christian culture, the evangelical Christian culture... It's easy to take this and turn it into an idol. Now, nobody would ever say they bow down to it and burn incense to it or pray to it. But if this takes the place of Jesus Christ, it's become an idol in our lives. This is given to be something that we look through to see Jesus. That's the point of the Scripture. That's what Jesus himself says. John 5, 39 and 40. You Jews, you study the Scriptures all day long, like 12 hours a day. You study the Scriptures all day long, but you refuse to look at them and come to me. I'm the one the Scriptures are all about. So it's, it's huge. Jesus is the Word of God that the Scriptures point to. Jesus is the Word of God that communion points to. Again, we just did this. We're doing a new emphasis on communion. But it's not like communion's not the deal. It's not the end all. It's something that points to something else. Jesus. You know? When a sermon is good, it points to Jesus. You know, we say, wow, that was inspired. Why was it inspired? Because it pointed to Jesus Christ. That's it. You know, it's not, I can talk about all different kinds of things, relationships, money, finances, how to get along in marriage, all those different things. But if it doesn't point to Jesus Christ, you know, it's, there's just something, I'm just, I'm just missing it a bit. It's got to get to Him. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the revelation of God, God's self-revelation to us, to the world. So it's absolutely huge. If you get off on those things, it's like, then you turn this into an idol. If you get off on communion, you know, one of the things that happened during the Reformation is that everybody was fighting communion wars. That was one of the big deals. There was this big war in Europe called the Thirty Years' War. It's 30 years of Christians killing each other running each other through with different sharp kinds of things, making it slow and painful, burning each other at the stake, cutting their heads off, and just in general mayhem in wars because of communion was a big piece of it. Like this thing that was supposed to be 
the, the unifying mark of us sharing the Lord's life and, and because His blood was shed for us. It's supposed to be a peace place of unity. It was a massive place of disunity. That's satanic. I mean, it's like right from the devil, from hell, you know? Like, you think differently about the communion, and so I need to kill you. That's horrid, isn't it? Just sick, man. So, I'm, what I'm just kind of working my way through here is, is to say, we want to see Jesus in everything. When we look at the scriptures, we want to see the, the ultimate interpretation, the, what God's pointing to. I mean, even Jesus revealing Father, Son, Holy Spirit in relationship, and He's bringing us into that divine, triune, beautiful love relationship dance that's going to go on for eternity. We want to see that Jesus as we look at the Scriptures. Even things that are about judging each other and things that are about the future and things that are about money. We want to see Jesus. Everybody tracking? So, I feel like I'm... I don't know if it's a coffee or what. I'm kind of worked up. Um, so, uh, so you guys know I've been reading a lot of Lewis, C.S. Lewis lately, and, and he had this essay called Meditations in a Tool Shed. And in the essay, he, he says he went into a tool shed and he saw a sunbeam coming through a crack in the roof and there were all these dust particles. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I clean our floors at the house. We got wood floors a couple years ago, and so I'm, I'm like OCD about, the wood, about dust and Maggie t- bringing in debris and stuff. But late in the afternoon, man, you can like, that's when you do it. The sun's kind of shining on it. It's like, oh, man, this is filthy. <laughs> you know, I'm cleaning that deal up. And she, she likes it, you know. <laughs> but uh, so, so he saw in the sunbeam the dust particles, And there's two things you could do. You could look and make observations about the dust particles. Or what he did was he walked up to that sunbeam and he looked kind of in it and along it. And what he saw was the sun. And it was this big light bulb for him. And it should be a light bulb for us. That there's so many things in life that we aren't called to just look at them and look at the words in and of themselves, but those words are supposed to point to something. I mean, how could you ever take words and make them God? I mean, no matter what we can ever say about anything, the reality is greater. Do do you see that? It's always going to be greater. It's always, it's it's less than, this is going to be less than the reality of Jesus. Okay, I'm trying to help you see Jesus. And so, and so we look along the, we look along, instead of just, you know, studying here and parsing every single word, we look along this to see the Lord Jesus. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We look at communion, and it's not just bread and wine and, and things that we're, I mean, I said bread and wine. We use crackers and grape juice. We use a symbol of the symbol to get to the reality. We need to get some bread and wine in here. At least cut the symbolism down one, one notch. Are you all tracking with me? And so it's not just these things that we think of as holy in the church, but it's, it's our lives. My life is supposed to be something that's not just supposed to be analyzed, but pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest compliment you could ever give me. 
was to say, well, I see Jesus in you. In some measure, I see Jesus in you and, and, and I'm, I'm being changed. I see more of you, more of him in you than I used to. That's why, that's why we say this up here. I say it all the time. So our families are supposed to be like a sunbeam that points to Jesus. Our jobs, a sunbeam that points to Jesus. Every facet of our lives, what we do when nobody else is around, a sunbeam that points to Jesus. The entertainment that we watch, a sunbeam that points to Jesus. Our politics, world, I mean, world, world peace. You know, just... It can, like, it's, like, this is really God's plan for making everything right. And, and so the way we think about, I mean, there's wisdom in philosophy. There's wisdom that Jesus is wanting to make right if we'll look to him in whatever sphere it is of life, health, business, you know, commerce, politics, you name it, church life. Just, there's nothing he doesn't want to touch. And so... Uh, couple challenges to peace. Let's look at this today. The first one here, first challenge to peace under pressure is our relationships. Verse 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who judges, excuse me, speaks against his brother, judges him, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, um, you guys, we're all just people. And we're broken. We're, we're fragile. We do dumb things. We make mistakes. Am I touching, hitting the mark yet? <laughs> like, that's not me. I'll keep going. Like, give me, I'll keep working on it. You know, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me they've been hurt by the church, uh, I wouldn't be rich, but I'd, I'd have more money than I do now. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to say, you guys, it's people. It's people. You know, I, I've been hurt by the church, and so I'm going to opt out of God's eternal purpose uh, for, for revealing Jesus through, through the church in the world. It just it doesn't make sense. It's like, I got hurt, and so now I'm really going to hurt myself even more by pulling out of the one thing that can really, really help me. Relationships, connection, being known, knowing others. It's the lab for working these things out. It really is. That's what the church is. And, you know, the judgments uh, that we make about one another, you know, usually what they end up doing is they manifest a kind of self-fulfilling cycle where I'm hurt and I'm wounded because of something that happened in my past and so now I'm expecting somebody else to do that to me. I'm looking for you to kind of do that to me, you know, to wound me in that way and so I'm looking for it. I'm looking for you to do something that you and your weakness and brokenness, chances are you're probably going to do it and the only way out of this vicious cycle is to forgive. This is the only way out. And it's been provided for you because you've been fully forgiven in Jesus Christ. And He calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven. And you've been fully forgiven 100%. Clean slate in Jesus. He's done it all. He's dealt with Adam once and for all. Taking it, Him to the cross. Taking all that old life to the cross. 
His, His blood covering our sins once and for all. It's good news. And so the judgment stuff, you know, it, it kind of, uh, it puts us in the place of God. That's what it does. And, and so when we judge and we expect somebody to do something, you know, or we make a judgment about them, I look at you and, um, and I say that you're something. The thing I'm missing is that I, I'm looking at Tiffany right now. I know she can handle me doing this. And uh, I think... I love you, sister. <laughs> um, but, but the thing that I miss when I judge her is that I miss that, that God places unsurpassable value and worth on her life. He says that she is worth the Son of God dying for. And anybody that you've ever met in life or will ever meet, anybody that you'll ever judge or try to pin something on them, the thing you've got to remember is they are worth Jesus Christ dying for. Unsurpassable value. How could you ever put a value on the life of the Son of God? There, there, we, can't even, we can't even comprehend that. And that is good news and a call for us to give up the judgment stuff. He's already judged them as worthy. He's judged them as worthy of dying for. So, you know, here's what we need to do. Um, Yancey, you can handle this. Stand up here if you would. So I could, you know, Yancey might be somebody I'm tempted to judge for whatever reason. I'm looking at him and I see something that's not perfect about his life and I, I come up with a few judgments and I, I look at him and I say these different things about him. What God wants me to do is, what, what did we talk about a minute ago? He wants me to see Yancey, but also look along Yancey, not just at Yancey and his faults, but along Yancey to see how Jesus actually feels about Yancey Smith. And to then to give that kind of value to my brother, whom I love, and I do love him. Amen. Amen. Good. Okay. So uh, that's, that's where this is going. And uh, how does this scripture point me to Jesus? That's it. I look along the scripture and I see this thing about judgment and I realize that Jesus loves all the little children of the world. You know, he loves us all. That's what I see when I look at that thing about me not judging and me not standing in judgment on this, which is all summed up with a command to love. Love God and love each other, right? So that's, wow, that's good. You know? And when I do that, when I look along that and I see Jesus, I see the one who kept turning to the Father, was always for eternity in a face-to-face relationship with God. And for us to be like Jesus is going to be to keep turning toward one another in love. And it's just been, it's, it's good to, to just think that way, to walk that out. And what it will do, like Todd was saying last week, it'll bring a fresh humility into our lives. When we look at people through the lens of Jesus, along their lives to see Jesus, it brings humility. Because I realize I am fragile, I am a mess, I, I only have to go back a couple of days to really see where I, someplace I really blew it. I don't know about you guys. Um, so, uh, you know, God's good. And all I can do is just stand there under that grace and then be a giver of that kind of grace to others. Amen. So that's, that's one way. This challenge to peace in our relationships is to be, you know, is to look to Jesus as we're looking at people 
and to love them the way he loves them. Another piece there is our, another challenge is our future. Another challenge to peace under pressure is our future. Anybody ever lose peace when you start thinking about the future? (laughs) Oh, man. So you got, you know, all these little phases. You know, you're going from high school to college, and that's stressful, thinking about the future and the unknowns there. Going from college to the workforce, that's stressful, thinking about the unknowns there. Thinking about marriage, thinking about children, that's stressful. You know, I just don't know about all that stuff. Provision, how am I going to get money to pay for these different things? Right? Just, uh, I'm creating anxiety in here. (laughs) But he says, look, you know, and again, we're looking along this to see Jesus, right? So look at this. Listen, you who say today, tomorrow, we're going to spend, be in this city, there, you know, carry on business here and there and make money. Why, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Can I get a witness? You know, what's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Like fog in the morning that's gone by midday. You know, right? A couple hours. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live in this city. We'll live and do this or that. As it is, all this boasting and bragging, it's evil. It's evil. Okay, it's not, it's not, it's not connected to good. It's, it's parasitic on what is actually good. That's what evil is. Evil is a... Is, is good gone bad. And it can only exist because it's parasitic on the, on the good. You know? It doesn't exist on its own. Um, another topic. We'll get there some other time. Um, I love time travel. Anybody like time travel stuff? You're like, oh, that's weird. Uh, it's okay. I, I, I've been a sucker for that stuff since I was a little kid. You know? Love the time travel things. Guess what she likes? Not time travel so much, but romance. romance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so, you know, we try to find those things that kind of marry. Though every now and then we find one that's decent. We've had to turn them off before in attempts to do that. But uh, time travel, romance, and, you know, it doesn't have to be limited to that. But for me, there's something about thinking about the future and what God wants to happen in that future and bring that future into the present. I know that's not exactly time travel, but it's kind of like time travel. Like, God, what are you doing out there and what are you wanting to bring into now? You know, that's, that's, that's what the church is supposed to be, where God's future is breaking into the now. That's who we are as His people. And, you know, if we could, you know, look out there and see that future as connected to Jesus, you know what's going to happen to our worries and concerns and anxieties? It's going to just bring it down. doesn't mean you're going to be, ever be anxiety-free, you know, completely. But the more you do that, the more you'll walk in peace. Because that, again, looking along the Scripture to see Jesus... He says, if it's the, you ought to say if it's the Lord's will. What did Jesus do? I never do anything except what I see my Father doing. Like he lived his whole life completely doing that. And how did that affect the future? He's free. Free from anxiety. You know, free to, there's still hard things he had to walk, walk into. But that's the way to live. You know, this, if it's the Lord's will. His whole life was, you know, the will of the Lord. Um, I can't, like a minute ago I had a relationship stand up and do this. I can't do that with the future. It's a concept. But I could look along that future and see Jesus. That's what we want to be doing. Does that make sense? So there's that illustration again there. Trying to decide if I got anything else. Um, I do have one other thing. And it's this. That if we will see the future through the light and the eyes of Jesus, everything looks... In our darkened perspective, we look at the future 
and we just we worry about it. It's a bummer. It's all the things that are bad that could happen. And when we look at it through the light of Jesus, it's just a totally different place, perspective. And I'm trying to do this in this sermon today. Yancey said something to me a couple weeks ago. I was working on a, what I felt like was a significant message to give to Antioch Baton Rouge when they were in town on the Father Heart of God. And I was going to start by describing the problem, you know, the darkness that we live in. You know, and so we don't see God right. I was going to describe that problem, you know, and, and Yancey said, I think you ought to start with the light. Start with, you know, Jesus bringing the light. And it was like, and even this morning early, I got up, I was just seeking the Lord, and I wanted to seek Jesus before I even started thinking about this sermon again. You know, just like, if we'll get in the light, everything will just be a lot clearer. Get in the light and look to Jesus and then start thinking about the future. Just encouragement. Dependence on Him. The last one, challenge to peace under pressure, is our wealth. Our wealth, money. James 5, 1-6. Listen, rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth is rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Gold and silver, they're corroded. The corrosion will testify against you. You've hoarded wealth. Here it is, in the last days. The wages you failed to pay, the workmen are crying out against you. Cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence and fattened yourselves up in the day of slaughter. Again, the point here, just like the point earlier is, these are harsh words if you're not living a submitted life to the Lord. If you're not living in a submitted way with what's going on with this, your pocketbook or whatever way you... Symbolize this. Now, I guess it could be an icon of a bank app or you know something. But, but you want to look along that to see Jesus and to see that all of this is His. You know, and to the extent that we haven't gone there in our hearts, then that's where these harder words come in. To wake us up to see that there is no life apart from Him. Submitting to Him is the best thing that we can ever do with our lives, time, resources, all that we are. As we look at our wealth, you know, what do we see? How is that stuff being used? And, uh, you know, I do want to say, I said I was going to say one word about this last verse. Uh, There in verse 6, it says, You've condemned and murdered innocent men. And it kind of makes sense to say that in the context of being talking about the harvesters and stuff. But that's not what the Greek says. It says, you've condemned and murdered the righteous one. Definite article, the righteous one. Jesus, who, not plural, were, who was not opposing you. And here's, in a way, it's kind of good news for all of us. You know, that Jesus doesn't stop us from doing, he gives us freedom to choose him, to love, to, for our life to be an expression of worship and adoration and love, the way we use our money, the way we use our time, the way we use our resources, the way we navigate difficult situations and and a lot of times even our paradigm for looking at the pressure we face because of wealth or the accumulation of wealth, a lot of it will just be really resolved if we'll look to Jesus with our money. Look to Jesus. Look along that, again, this is the illustration, but look along this thing to see Jesus. Lord, how does this and what this represents get affected by you? 
how do you want to deal with all these things in my life? Let me wrap this up. Those are challenges, but they're also opportunities for us. And there's a picture here for us to see about Jesus Christ. God wants us to be people that live lives of trust in Jesus so that our lives ultimately end up not just with our relationships and our future and our money, but everything else that I could say that, talks, that describes us, describes me, describes you. We want to be people that point to Jesus. And we want to be people that are being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ, right? We want to be people that know how to relate, know how to, what it's like to be pulled into God's life of relating. We want to be people that know how to turn face to face and enter into that kind of, not where we turn away and keep turned away, but where we turn toward each other and keep turning toward one another. We want to be people that walk, that know how to walk in peace under pressure. And we want to be a church that points to Jesus. Um, you know, and when I say, uh, you know, having an experience of Him, that's when I, when I say trust, I mean having an experience of Him that's real. And that gets back to what I talked about at the start, that we want to be united with Him in our real lives, united with Him day in and day out, where we, where we acknowledge in our lives the truth that we've been united with Christ in new life. That's the truth. And so our experience then is to acknowledge that and live in that more and more and more. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I'm living, it's, it's His faith. It's His life being seen and manifested in me. And it looks more and more like the truth that's found in Jesus. Remember the word for truth in Greek is aletheia. Aletheia means covered. A means not. And so I want to be a person of truth that shows what the uncovered life of Jesus looks like. That's what we want to do together. Let's stand up. Worship team, ministry team, come on up. Just want to give us a little, you know, a few moments here to respond to God.